Hello, my name is Jillian. My name is Yolanda, and welcome to The Pemberley Podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Pemberley Podcast. This week, we're so excited that we finally had on our show Ashley Clemens. Woohoo! Indelible Lizzie Bennett herself was in my dining room. It was amazing. <laughs> She's great. I love her. She did mention that her parents made me listening to this. Hi, Ashley's parents. Hi. We hope you also enjoy the interview as well as everyone else listening. <laughs> I know. We learned things about her that I'm sure you already know. Yeah. We got to talk about, of course, the Lizzie Bennett Diaries, and we talked about Sona, which is really exciting, her upcoming web series. I'm excited for that. I'm yeah. very excited for that. Yeah. Also, she also talked about Poe Party, her experience doing that. Talked about Poe Party. Loved it. So without further ado, Ashley Clements. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special, like, very special episode of the Pemberley Podcast. We have a great guest today. You know her from Poe Party, Muzzle the Musical, Solve It Squad, Non-Transferable. She's the writer and star of her upcoming web series, Sona, and you know her as Lizzie Bennett from the Lizzie Bennett Diaries. Please welcome Ashley Clements! Yay! Yay! Thanks for having me. <laughs> sure. I'm going to be honest. I was I was a little worried you were never going to invite me on. What? No, All, we still want to Everyone else, last. and I was like... Oh, they don't want me. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, uh, sure, whatever. It's just, we I would have thought maybe you'd, you'd want, but that's fine. <laughs> we were saving you for last. Well, that's lovely. Thanks, guys. Yes. We're happy that you finally made it out in the rain, in the LA rain. And it was drizzling. Yeah. Quite drizzly. That's sort Very of... Very gently. That's like because I drove here. <laughs> that's kind of like a hurricane in some parts of the country. Mm-hmm. Like here. Like, yeah, like here. Here, here. Like here. Drizzle to LA is like a hurricane to yeah. other people. I'm from Northern California. Oh, okay. Um, and I was a kid during the El Nino years. Oh, so fun. I've been, I've, we only lived 20 feet above sea level actually. So wow. we were in danger of flooding a number of times. Mm. But it never really happened. Close. We got really close. Um, you know, most houses in California for the rest of the country don't yeah. have basements. Yeah. Um, but there's just like, there was a crawl space under the house. And we had, like, pumps going to try to get the water out. Oh. And it got within inches of the floorboards. Wow. Um, a couple times. Yeah. It was thrilling. <laughs> thrilling. <laughs> Creeks overflowed. So this, I'm like, oh, the drizzle. Yeah, <laughs> Danger. But I'm a Californian who gets very frustrated by, like, Southern Californians who can't drive in the rain because Northern oh. Californians can't. Well, that's we true. Know. I can't. <laughs> we know how to drive in the rain. <laughs> um, so speaking of all of that, uh, growing up as a kid in Northern California, what made you want to become an actor? And when did you come out to L.A.? And um, I chose acting very early on. I've joked before, my career progression, although this is very true, was basically... You know, like like two or three, I was like, I'm going to be a princess. And then at some point I said lawyer because I thought that's what my dad was. Um, (laughs) The kid's perception of your parents. Was that not what he was? He was in business, but he went to law school. It's confusing Uh, to a talk. Well, he like probably wore like a suit, like went to work. Exactly. Like, isn't that all the same? But that just seemed like a real job. And then I said I was going to be the first female president of the United States. Uh It's not too late. (laughs) <laughs> I remember somebody saying that'll happen before you're old enough. <laughs> um, and oh. then, and then, you know, parents are always trying to like get their kids into activities. And so, mm-hmm. you know, my mom put me in a few different things. She put me in soccer and I spent the entire time playing elaborate fantasy games with my imaginary friends on the field, completely <laughs> oblivious to everyone else. Apparently they were screaming my name and the ball was whizzing by and I just didn't even hear them because I was having a great time. Yeah. 
That's what's important about sports. And uh, and fun. and then my mom figured out like, oh, maybe this kid with all this imagination um, should do, you know, just kids theater, just for like whatever my after school activity was. So I was six when I did my first play. I played a bee in Winnie the Pooh. I had one line. Um, the photos are very precious. Do you remember the line? I was gonna ask that. The line was something like. It's probably because he ate too much honey because Pooh is stuck <laughs> on in the yes. um, in rabbit's hole. I believe is the <laughs> story. And I that's I was like I'm gonna be an actor, and everyone's like, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Same as you know, princess lawyer, first female president of the United States. And I never changed my mind. And I think, mm-hmm. and you know, my mom was just gonna be supportive of whatever I did. But I think my dad was very much like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you what are you gonna do to make money? Mm-hmm. Um, but I am very lucky that both of my parents did eventually did come on board. By the time I was in high school, my dad was like, this is what you want to do. Um, and has been very, very supportive since because I know he'll listen to this. I'm not throwing you into the bus, Aww. Dad. Um, and my mom drove me to every children's theater all over the oh, Bay Area. Wow. I mean, at some point I did a show in the South Bay and I'm from the North Bay. And if anyone from the Bay Area is listening to this, you know that my mother is a sainted woman for doing it. But my mother is from Los Angeles and she was very anti me sort of pursuing it Mm -hmm. in like a professional film way because she grew up with a lot of child actors and the children of very famous people. Mm. Um, And she just viewed it as like a really sort of, you know, toxic, negative environment. She's not wrong. And I I do think I would be lost in many ways if I had been uh, a child actor. So a lot of people were like, you should take her down to LA. And she was like, absolutely not. And Mm. I think that's partly, I was going to say part of that is how I got so steered towards musical theater, but that's also partly what people do with kids. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was very musical theater oriented. And I think the combination of that with my mom kind of nudging me away from Los Angeles from a very early age, I was like, I'm going to New York. I'm going to to New York. I'm going to be on Broadway. I had all the Broadway soundtracks. I I still have like a really extensive CD collection and I don't want to get rid of the CDs because like (laughs) I finally did like get rid of the cases. And by get rid okay. of the cases, I mean that they're, like, in boxes at my mom's house. Um, <laughs> and I just have – but I have, like, books of CDs of musicals. And I don't actually need the physical CDs anymore. Yeah. But it is, like, this was a thing that I, you know, that I collected for a long time. Was so there, Was there one in particular you always listened to? I loved so many things. Yeah. Um, one of the first shows that I ever saw, which is funny because I don't even think I own the soundtrack to it, but was Phantom of the Opera because mm. it ran for like a decade in San Francisco. It was just there for oh, a really wow. long time. So I saw it a number of times and it's one of the first things I saw. The Secret Garden was one of the first things I saw, which I don't remember very well, but my mom was like, that's when that's when you knew. And I'm like, I think I knew before that. But, um, that was an experience of being a child and seeing a child play the lead oh, on yeah, yeah. stage professionally. And um, and I do, I do have a sort of like a vague memory because I know we were sitting in the balcony. Yeah, I was going to grow up. And, and oh, Evita was a, I was a big Angela Weber fan as a child because <laughs> I was a child. Um, actually, I don't know that that's a good explanation as to why. No, that's um, funny. <laughs> it was just sort of what I was introduced to, you know. But yeah. so like I didn't even listen to popular music growing up. You know, kids made fun of me because, like, all I knew was musicals. And that's Mm. all I listened to. And also, like, Disney soundtracks, you know? Yeah. Which was also why it was very exciting when Disney soundtracks became Broadway shows. I was like, yes, this is everything. (laughs) Um, And so I was very oriented towards that. I only auditioned for musical theater programs for school. I was also very... I came from a family where it was, like, not an option not to go to college. It never occurred to me not to go to college. Um, I ended up just kind of going to the school that gave me a scholarship. Thank you, (laughs) Ithaca. Um, So I went to Ithaca College, um, but I wasn't accepted for musical theater. I was accepted for acting. And that was kind of the beginning of me going, oh, maybe I'm not good enough to sing. So I stopped for a long time singing. Mm. 
Um, and I mention this just because there have been so many places along the way that people have told me like, hey, you shouldn't do this. And anyone listening to this, whatever you're pursuing, I'm sure that there are people who are telling you the same and screw those people. (laughs) Um, Because it's your life. And ultimately, like the people who were telling me like, hey, maybe you don't have it. We're working at a school in a tiny town in upstate New York Mm -hmm. who also didn't have it, who had never worked professionally in the industry. And that's just the thing about college. And that, that is, I have a lot of feelings about studying the arts in school. So which is not what this podcast is about, but I, I mentioned, but I mention it because I, because I've gone on to teach acting and it's, it's just, it makes me bonkers when people tell people like, maybe this isn't for you. You know what? The industry is going to decide who gets to work. And, Mm -hmm. um, and there are plenty of people that I didn't think were any good in school who are doing just fine. So, um, you don't know. Hmm. Um, although sometimes you do, (laughs) sometimes you really know. Sometimes it's crazy obvious. Um, you also, I've watched so many people like blossom and become incredible artists that I didn't know they could be. So yeah. So then I was, I, I studied acting at Ithaca College and then they were like, Hey, also maybe you're not good at that. And I didn't know what to do because I knew that this was what I was going to do no matter what. But I also was such a big believer in education that I felt like, Oh, well, I need an institution to sign off and tell me I'm good at this. And so I applied to grad school and I went straight out of undergrad. And that was really validating because Ithaca was like, hey, what if you didn't do this? And a bunch of grad schools were like, you're great. Come here. Hmm. Um, And I went to the Old Globe in San Diego. And that's partly because that program is free. (laughs) Um, They take seven actors a year and they get full scholarships and a stipend. And that's um, one of the only programs that survives that still is able to do that. And partly because I love Shakespeare and, and the program is phenomenal. Um, and also partly because I had to make that decision in March and in upstate New York. And it was still, there was still snow on the ground. And, um, <laughs> you know, I was, just, nice. I was deciding between <laughs> staying in a snowy place and going to San Diego. And I was like, peace out. I'm going to be warm. I mean, I'm glad I did it because I was a Californian and I'm glad that I tried living so far away from home. And I, yeah, I'm yeah. glad that I like tested out winter. <laughs> um, not a fan. Don't recommend it. Um, so, uh, yeah, so then I went to, uh, I went to San Diego and that was really life-changing because immediately part of that program, you are a professional actor, you start to work in the theater and I got to do, um, over 10 shows there in the two years that I was there. And I played everything from literal spear carriers to like the leads of shows. I never actually carried a spear, but I did carry a giant stick with a ghost head on top of it. So that's like really similar. That's cooler. It was very heavy and difficult to maneuver. Um, (laughs) And I moved some furniture. Um, So I really like kind of did everything there. And um, in terms of what you can do as an actor on stage uh, in a Shakespeare play. And then I really felt like a professional. Then I really felt like, okay, I am a professional and I'm going to go to New York and pursue that theater dream. And I went to New York and it was still cold there. They still had winter. (laughs) What? They had not solved that problem. I think they're still working on it. Rude. Yeah. Very much so right now. (laughs) Um, And I, um, I was also, you know, I went straight from school where you are not, I mean, I was always in class and understudying a show and in a show. I was never working on fewer than three characters, but sometimes like six or 10 because you had, you know, different pieces for different classes. And, um, and that program was six days a week. We only took the equity day off, which is Monday. And I went from that to like fully unemployed and auditioning. And um, that was, that's a really hard transition no that's matter where I had terrifying. gone. But then it was also, um, that program ends in October. And so I moved to New York in November. Oh, wow. And I was like, 
the city's winter isn't even as bad as upstate and it was still just it was just hard and I was unhappy and at the time I was dating a guy who was like I think I want to move to LA and I said yes just to get out of the whole I was just like okay like I didn't know anyone in Los Angeles I didn't know anything about film and television acting I didn't think I wanted to do it I just was really unhappy and I was like Mm. okay and I moved to LA and I'm so glad that I did the relationship (laughs) didn't last but uh, but like but your um, love affair with L.A. did. It did. <laughs> and I I very quickly fell in love with film and television acting and got myself into class so I could learn how to do that because mm-hmm. um, it turns out it's different. <laughs> um, and then I had not been in Los Angeles for very long when I booked the Lizzie Bennett Diaries. Wow. And that changed everything. So, yeah, that's just a really quick rundown. No, that's really great. That's um, a lot of, I like hearing all that background. Well, and I, I, I guess, like, part of the reason that, because, again, this is, like, the acting teacher part of me coming out is saying, like, that's how many no's and rejection I got just before this right. and there's been a lot since but you you have to believe in yourself enough to to mm-hmm. keep doing it because no amount of external validation is actually ever going to um make you believe something unless like you choose you choose to believe it it's very true you shortly uh, shortly after moving to LA, you got the Lizzie Bennett Diaries. I did. Did you audition for any part other than Lizzie, or were you just up for her? I I submitted myself for Lizzie. I didn't have representation yet. There was a you know a breakdown they put out on Actors Access, and I was submitting to all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I had started to be a little choosier around the time that the Lizzie Bennett breakdown came out, just because I had done a couple like really terrible things that I was like you know I got nothing out of and Mm. um, were unpleasant experiences so I was like well you know that doesn't help me but you know this had some some names on it of people who had done some things before at the very least I was like okay I'm not someone's like experiment and um and so I just sent a note you know and, and Bernie has mentioned this note a number of times but I I was already a big Jane Austen fan and so I just as soon as I saw Lizzie Bennett. I was like, well, I'm Lizzie Bennett. So <laughs> I, I sent a note that just said, you know, I'm a big Pride and Prejudice fan and I'd love to be involved. Or maybe I said I'm a big Austin fan. I don't know. But um, he says that's why they called me. Because I didn't have a reel at the time. Um, wow. Which, for anyone who doesn't know, is any footage of myself as an actor whatsoever for people to sort of check me out before mm-hmm. they, they bring me in. So they really kind of took a risk on even having me audition because I was very green. We've heard lore of how hard you had to work being Lizzie Bennett because you would get scripts like what Thursday and film Wednesday, Wednesday and film like Saturday and Sunday or like Saturday just Saturday just Saturday yeah. Emma Proof got Saturday and Sunday for the same number of You're episodes spoiled they were Jeez. I was actually so jealous of that. I was like you give them two days to shoot 80 pages <laughs> did that remind you of like the hard work that you had to put into your acting days at like especially at the old globe the old globe was incredible training for that and it was something that the writers kind of talked about and i was like oh yeah that's true that they were just to just to straight up brag on myself they were really lucky to get somebody who was used to handling that kind of text because Mm -hmm. most people like if i had actually just come to la instead of going through all of that kind of classical theater training and just trained for film and television i would not have been able to handle that much dialogue because nobody does that yeah 
Um, I mean, soap opera actors do to give them credit, but it's not as yeah. monologue typically. And it's not because some soaps really do shoot basically as much content in a day as, as we did. But it's not usually like one character in, in literally every scene. Right. But yeah, we would do, you know, 50, 60 pages of dialogue and I was on every page. And um, it was such a break for the like four episodes I'm not in. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm going to lie down yeah. <laughs> um, for an hour because each episode got about an hour. Um wow. Yeah, the fact that I had spent two years constantly memorizing huge amounts of Shakespeare text, which, and when you get really good at memorizing Shakespeare, like memorizing contemporary words is so easy. Like, <laughs> oh, I just talk like a normal person. And if I flub one word, it doesn't matter because like, oh, this okay. isn't, you know, like precious canon. Because hmm. um, you can't like, you know, ad lib any part of Shakespeare. You have to. <laughs> you can try, but you, people you, might you notice. You pretty much have to say it as written. <laughs> You know, which is not to say you, you shouldn't say your film and television scripts as written. But, you know, switching up an and and a but doesn't really matter on most sets. Unless you're working with Aaron Sorkin, so I hear. Or Amy Sherman and Yes. Yes. Very word perfect people. Mm-hmm. But you weren't that. <laughs> um, but yeah. it was more you know, chill with Bernie. <laughs> um, yeah, well, and, and, and Margaret Dunlap was really um, our script supervisor. Okay. And, and a number of, I mean, we were all working many jobs yeah. on, uh, on a production this small. But so she was the one really kind of going like, close enough. <laughs> <laughs> or sometimes like, I think we lost the meaning there. Can you try that again? Okay. Or, you know, we are particularly attached to this piece of dialogue. Can you uh, okay, okay. honor it? Yeah, um, yeah. So with you being so familiar with Jane Austen, Pride and Prejudice, were you able to have creative creative input throughout the series? Um, I am so lucky that they let me, but I also realized that like part of how green I was meant that I didn't really recognize uh, how unusual that was. So okay. I just like elbowed my way in. I was like, <laughs> I'm having conversations with you about this because also like I had strong opinions about Jane Austen. Yeah. I was like, you're not going to mess this up. Yeah. Um, not that anyone's intention was no. to like mess it up, yeah. but I, I had very strong opinions about about Lizzie and I, you know, I, I had read the book and I'd seen many film adaptations before mm-hmm. I even auditioned. And then I had, um, had a phone call with Bernie before I booked the part. He called to say, it's down to two of you. No, the callback was three people. So <laughs> um, he said, but I just kind of want to like have a real conversation with you about what it is that you're getting into because it is such an unusual process. But again, I hadn't done enough other stuff that I was like, whoa, this is so strange. I was just like, oh, that's what the process is going to be. Um, cool. Because a lot of actors would kind of balk at committing to something for a year. Yeah. Um, yeah. Without, like, TV money, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like you commit to the television show for seven years, actually, when you sign a contract. But, like, they're going to pay you. <laughs> and so this was like, look, you're not going to make any money, um, but it's only gonna, you're only going to work one day a week, I mean, one day a month, um, which, of course, was not actually how it ended up working out. But... Um, but, like, will you commit to this for a full year? And also, like, let's just get a sense of whether or not we think we could work together. Hmm. So that was, like, a long phone call. But I was also, like, so excited about Lizzie Bennett and, and, and Pride and Prejudice at that point that I, I just, before I'd even gotten the part, I was just thinking so much about Pride and Prejudice that I went back and reread the book. Hmm. Um, just kind of out of, like, the love of, the love of Jane. And so I had just freshly read the book when I got the part. And then I was like, I have opinions. Um, And also questions. Like, I I, I could see how a lot of things could be adapted, although I didn't know what they were going to do with with Charlotte and Collins, which I think was brilliant. But um, but my biggest question, because I didn't know how you were going to adapt that, 
was uh, what are you doing with Lydia Scandal? Mm. So I knew before Mary Kate did, just because I was like, <laughs> what is it? Because I because I was like, it can't be pregnancy. Because I thought the most obvious thing to do would be like, and I was like, it can't be that because that just sends a message that we don't, we don't want to judge this person. Like that's a, that's right. Like it, there are plenty of people who would, but I don't want to be a part of something that shames her for that. Mm -hmm. And he was like, it's not going to be that. And I was like, okay, great. He said, we were thinking sex tape. And I was like, oh, that's, that's brilliant because people, because you know, like the whole, all the celebrity sex tapes and things like that is a thing that like is an interesting equivalent um and i thought that was just really clever so i think literally i mean i met mary kate at the callback but our first rehearsal i was like it's a sex tape and she was like who are you and what she she knew i was lizzie but she was like i don't want that what Um, we just met um yeah i scared her but i was really i was really excited and and having those conversations also made me realize that i was working with writers who also really valued our source material and really wanted to honor it um and of course it was hank green's idea and the reason he picked pride Prejudice is because it's his wife Catherine's favorite book, and Hank is also a big Pride and Prejudice fan. But like, even though Hank was off in Montana and much sort of more removed from the process, um, was also invested in like telling the story, right? Or you know, his wife was going to be mad. Yeah, <laughs> um, I feel like Catherine Green was actually the one pulling the strings this whole time. <laughs> um, well, and I didn't find out till later, but like she weighed in on casting and all these things oh, too. Wow. Like, of course, okay. she's like looking over Hank's shoulder, and she's like, yeah. you know, that she's one, like, that one, that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, which also means that like I owe Catherine a debt as well. Um, and like Catherine backed me on on the Darcy pick too. So, oh really? Um, um, yeah. So there was a bit we were, of a debate between Darcy's. I remember hearing about that with yeah. Jenny Powell. Yeah, yeah. There, were, there were like two that we came down to, and they were both great in different ways, but Daniel was so special. And part of the reason I was so sold on Daniel is because I we made Daniel come in a ridiculous number of times. It was unreasonable. <laughs> I'm sorry, Daniel. <laughs> I chemistry read with everyone who was cast in the show. And then also Jane and Bing read together and um, mm-hmm. Lydia and Wickham and, you know, relevant, relevant love interests, really. But with... With the Darcy's, there were so many people weighing in, and there was just like some some difference of opinion. But but Daniel, Daniel had clearly, and this was rare. Daniel had clearly watched the show oh. and watched our impressions of him. So he <laughs> he at this he simultaneously justified our impressions of him, which is a I mean it's a very difficult thing to do coming into a show later than that, and brought so much more. And I had, like, slowly warmed up to him. <laughs> like, I thought he was great the first time I saw him. He was also, I think, the third Darcy we saw. So there's also kind of the mentality of, like, sure. oh, great. What else we got? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. And, um, but just sort of the way that, like, my feelings towards him had blossomed made me be like, oh, my God. <laughs> that's how Lizzie feels. And that's how the audience will feel. And it has to be Daniel. And I wrote this, like, impassioned email because I thought – we were leaning a different direction. And I wrote this really impassioned email saying, like, it has to be Daniel. And everyone wrote back and they were like, yeah, yeah, we we, we know. <laughs> and I was like, oh. Thanks, but we got it. <laughs> um, so do you know if they were ever leaning towards doing something different and then you weighed in and they, like, changed their minds? There, that happened a lot with like smaller things. Okay. I don't, I don't think there were any, like, major, major plot points that I, because those were all, pretty like the major plot points were pretty well mapped out from the beginning and i think you have to do that Mm -hmm. um and then some things were kind of figured out along the way like bing's not really in medical school was was a was a later uh addition and the way we made the show meant that 
you know, that we were really responding to the way it was being received. So, you know, a lot of those major plot points didn't change, but like Lydia became something that no one expected Lydia to be. And because of what Mary Kate brought to it and because of how the audience responded to it and, and the depth that was found there. And, and a lot also because um, the writer who really championed Lydia, Rachel Kylie, saw that in her from the beginning mm-hmm. um, and really kind of planted the seeds of the kind of slut shaming stuff from the beginning. Um, oh, like that was Rachel doing that very intentionally yeah. so that Lizzie could have that arc. Oh, wow. But I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, there were a million little dialogue tweaks that I requested. And there were I, there was like one time that there was something that I was like, I just don't think that's how Lizzie would respond to this. Hmm. Well, no, I mean, there are a lot of times that I was like, that's not how Lizzie would respond to this. <laughs> but um, but like one that was like big. And and I'm very lucky that, that they were so um, receptive to my notes. And, and we were all Jane Austen fans really, you know, passionately wanting to make a good thing. Um, and their writers were incredible. And so they're I don't mean to like take credit for the writing because I I didn't write the show, but um, but I did a lot of consulting. <laughs> okay. So, was there any particular episode or story arc that you really enjoyed the most? I loved because where we really departed the most from the book was the Lizzie Lydia relationship. I would say that that was really um, special and rewarding as well. Partly because Mary Kate and I got so close and remained very close, um, so that was just like really great for us to get to do together Mm. and I knew that's the storyline that people really reach out about and say like this helped me this made me realize that I should you know connect reconnect with my sister or you know that I was too hard on a friend or um or made me feel like I was redeemable Mm. um so and and I know that Mary-Kate probably got even more messages than me because her character was really the one going through a hard time but that's the storyline that I absolutely heard the most about and I think ultimately had the most kind of impact for people um and of course it was it was a delight to play the the Darcy relationship as well Daniel and I have great chemistry and we had a lot of fun doing that and um and it was it was really rewarding for like to you know have been on this journey for a year and then for Lizzie to like get this thing that she wants um those were the most fun maybe for me so what was it like when it came to an end oh my gosh it was so sad at the time I cried so much you know it's it's a such a unique project because any other time that you're working on something long term like that you're spending a year with a character um you're on a tv show that's really the only time that the, the only job that actors get where they get to spend that much time with the character and um and I hadn't been on a tv show you know because there was there was a lot of talk the show was so successful there was a lot of talk of like do we try to continue it do we like and I was one of the voices saying like this is a complete story and also like we based this on Pride and Prejudice and there's there it would need to be a really clear direction about where it was going if we were going to just sort of like have a free-for-all but I, I I've watched a lot of shows that I loved that kind of went off the rails late in later seasons just yeah. because they were like, we need to make more content, but mm-hmm. we don't really have anywhere to go with it. And it just felt like it was right to let it end. We had told the story we'd done, we'd set out to do and, and adapted Pride and Prejudice in a vlog style web series. But I'd also spent a year living in Lizzie's 
bones, and um, which are coincidentally my bones. I, I let her borrow my bones. Yeah. But li- living through her experiences and having the relationships that she had and caring about the things that she cared about, and it was it was really sad to let her go. That was a hard transition. And again, it was sort of, you know, like I was talking about coming out of grad school, is like you had this thing that was all-consuming, and then all of a sudden it's gone. So that was an, that was another kind of big hard transition in my life where I was like, oh, I'm not Lizzie Bennet anymore. Except I'll always be Lizzie. Yeah. <laughs> um, while that show shot once a month, it became very all-consuming in my life. Bernie and I would have script meetings. Once all the writers had sent in their episodes, we would do like a big Skype session and go through. And I would give a lot of notes, and and I'll, that pass needed to happen with or without me, just in terms of taking all these episodes written by different writers and making sure that the story arc is clean through them all. But I was very fortunate to be able to give a lot of notes at that point and then they would be a rewrite and then I would get and then oh and then we would do we would do a one rehearsal the Wednesday before and then on Thursday I think I'd get the final version of because we'd make changes based on the rehearsal as well. And then Thursday and Friday I would, you know, be working on it and and then Saturday we would shoot. But then the rest of the time, you know, I had a a lot of people contacting me on social media and we were going to conventions and there were interviews and things. And it just felt like, it felt like a full-time job, even though it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And so kind of all of a sudden that was gone. So. Uh, it's okay now. <laughs> That's great. I'm, I'm, thri- I'm thriving. <laughs> you are. Um, so if you could like go back in time and give yourself some advice on your first day of filming, mm. what would it be? Prep more. <laughs> I'd give her that advice I give myself that advice two two days before. Um, <laughs> when I went into it, Bernie was like, we're going to have all the lines for you just just out of frame. Um, I think I was the one who asked for a music stand. But he basically was telling me, I know it looks like a lot of content. And originally they, they said, you know, I think we're going to do six episodes or something. And then later they're like, I think we're going to try to do eight episodes. And I was like, like okay, in a day. Well. In a day. And I was like, oh, okay. And I can't remember if it if it had even started lower than that. It just felt like it kept like growing. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, but he had told me like, look, it's jump cuts. We're, we're going to do all these jump cuts. So you don't even need to worry about memorizing it. And I think that was kind of him just being like, you know, don't stress out. And so I didn't. Because um, I got 50 or 60 page script a day or two before we were going to film it. And I, you know, I, I read it a few times, but I didn't, it, it, it's a different process for me to memorize something than to read it. I'm very good at memorizing dialogue. People remark on it sometimes. If I run a scene with you two or three times, I have it down. But I was alone. And I, it, memorizing monologue, which is what are basically monologues, yeah. is just a different process. And it's just a matter of repetition, repetition, repetition. Um, it's always really, really helpful for me to have someone to run lines with. But that only kind of works with dialogue when you mm-hmm. are in an exchange. And when it's when it's you just monologuing, you. like that first day, it was so hard <laughs> because I didn't know the lines. I was yeah. familiar with everything. But um, I quickly learned that the more that I could prep, the more that I could just memorize them. And we also learned in the process of editing that having the scenes be as memorized as possible because it just felt less organic to jump cut within the scenes. Right. Like, okay. like regardless of whether I did the opening monologue in one take or not, mm-hmm. they were going to put jump cuts in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I just found it sped the day along a lot if I could do most of it in one chunk. But it also meant that I didn't have to necessarily get it perfectly. But we really tried in the later episodes, and you can see this when you watch the show, to not jump cut through the scenes because 
it was always, you know, kind of a difficult conceit to believe that, like, oh, somebody just wandered into Lizzie's room and we're continuing the vlog. And um, it just felt like it made a lot more sense to keep those conversations as, like, real, unedited conversations. And so I would prioritize memorizing the dialogue and then I would work on the monologues. But so, yeah, girl, get to memorizing. That's my my recommendation. That's awesome. And, like, what's cool about the Lizzie Bennet Diaries is it kind of, like, sparked this whole new genre online of, like, It did. It was really, like, the first of a trend, yeah. Yes. How does it, like, feel to have sort of been a part of the flagship genre? I mean, cool. I I mean, I can't take credit for that, right? Because I didn't come up with the idea. That was, that was... That was Hank's idea. But, you know, I'm, I'm deeply flattered that we inspired so many people. And we also, mm-hmm. we made something vlog style, which is really kind of like the least expensive way that you can make something, which yeah. means that you can tell a really complicated story with incredibly limited resources. And so I think a lot of people were inspired to tackle bigger stories and not be afraid that they didn't have the resources to shoot them. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. That is the fun part. I still see new series pop up and you see mm-hmm. people in their college dorms and yeah. just with their friends. So that's, yeah, it's always fun to see. Well, and and that's also everyone who who makes great art started somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, people ask me a lot about, you know, how do you start making things? I'm like, you start. Yeah. You start and you talk to people who've done it before and you get what advice you can, but you're going to learn so much from doing it. And there's a great... Ira Glass quote that I will paraphrase, which is something like, you know, you you see great art, you want to make great art, but when you first start, your ability to make, there's a big gap between the ability of what you can make and what your taste is. But the only way to close that gap, the only way to get to the place where you have the ability to make stuff as good as your taste is, is to keep making stuff. Mm -hmm. I think it's just so empowering that people feel like oh I can tell a story and like really get into the the writing and acting elements of it without mm-hmm. having to like understand everything about cinematography yeah. all right let's talk about Sona yeah Yay! cool <laughs> so for those who may not know why don't you tell us a little bit about it what it is what you're doing um Sona is the first show I ever created and I wrote it and I started on that <laughs> and um and I just finished a crowdfunding campaign for um post-production and um it's it's a sci-fi show um you know but speaking again of limited resources I I love sci-fi and I'd really wanted to do sci-fi for a long time and no one was hiring me to do it and I started to wonder like what can I do that's sci-fi but contained and small in a way that like I can do it. And um, and having co-produced Non-Transferable, um, which is our film that's currently available on iTunes and Amazon Prime and <laughs> Google Play, Fandango Now, and a number of other places. Um, uh, small, small plug. No, it's great. Um, yeah. uh, Absolutely. We, um, I, knew, I knew a lot more about actually making things, and I, I asked Brendan, who, um, who produced and wrote and directed and started um non-transferable <laughs> um do you think that this space which it was my dining room which is not really very much bigger than your dining room mm-hmm. um i said do you think that we could turn this into a just like a small little spaceship <laughs> just like a like a and he said yeah space he said i think i think that we could do that and he'd had some set building experience um 
And neither of us knew exactly how hard it would be until we'd already started, which is a great way to get started in creative projects, actually, because um, because then you're like, well, I can't quit now. <laughs> I've destroyed my dining room. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think I think there I think it's true of non-transferable. It's true of Sona. If I knew exactly how hard it was going to be going in, I probably wouldn't have started. So um, lie to yourself is another great tip that I have for creative people. <laughs> But also, like, prepare for it to be hard. Um, and we did because we had done non-transferable. But then this every new project has different challenges. But so we – and I say we loosely because Brenda did most of the construction. But I did <laughs> help. Um, I did. There's a time-lapse video you can see on my Twitter of us building the set. You can see that sometimes I'm not there. Um, How long did it take to build? Well, it took three weeks, but we were interrupted a lot. So I think we – I mean, part of it is also, like, we were figuring it out as we went. So there was a lot of, like, remeasuring and recutting and redoing stuff. Um, Brendan edited that out of the time last (laughs) video. He also edited out the parts where I cry. Um, They were just a few. My dining room, no. (laughs) Well, yeah, we we covered everything in this vinyl wrap that's made for cars. And so it looks like metal if you want to, like, make your car look like metal but not damage the paint. (laughs) Um, and it's incredibly difficult to work with mm-hmm. and like not have it bubble and you have to like put heat on it with like a hairdryer and then like oh. squeegee it with like a little sort of like credit card squeegee thing. And I, I just, I thought that any place where it sort of like bubbled or, you know, didn't look, didn't lay flat that I was like ruining everything that I was like, we, oh, no. I did like upended my home and destroyed this thing and, and it's not going to be perfect that by the way, it turned out to be a silly thing to worry about because um, when the whole thing was all put together, it looked incredible and um, and there are no close-ups of the back walls, you know, like they're in the background and often out of focus intentionally. You know, don't don't sweat the small stuff. Um, don't sweat the vinyl. Um, but so uh, what came of that is that is that we uh, we built a spaceship because I conceived of a story that would. Um, that would be really contained, and how I conceived of that is what if I was trapped in an escape pod? And so that was kind of the seed of the idea of the story, and then um, and then really like, well, why am I stuck in an escape pod, and what happened to me? And so the yeah. story unfolds in flashbacks about how this, this woman, who's a Space Corps officer, um, which is the kind of space military of future Earth, a future Earth that is run as if our current... American government was now running the whole planet. Um, and, well, not pleasant. <laughs> and um, uh, and um, Lieutenant Sona is um, is married to um, an alien, and um, and aliens are no longer welcome on Earth. And so, uh, you know, she has this torn allegiance um, between being a Space Corps officer and right, her okay. husband. And so that's kind of the sort of plot of it and it's also a lot about mental health because she's a character with a diagnosis um of depression and also um the story functions very much as an allegory for depression Hmm. um sort of being trapped alone and um believing that there's no way out and feeling like um nothing will ever change and so um that sort of came out of me and then, um, and, and Brenda and I tried to do it for like no money and we were just kind of doing it on our own and, you know, and then when we shot, when we started editing it together, we were like, oh, wow, I think we made something great. 
And, um, and wouldn't it be cool if we could do this and this and this? And so that's why we decided to launch a Kickstarter, which just ended. It was very successful. So thank you, everyone um, who, um, who pledged. And so that's, um, so we're like well underway in post-production. I just got a first sound pass of the first episode last night. And so, yeah, it's starting to come together. We're starting to get little pieces of animation of like my spaceship floating in space and, (laughs) you know, the green screen of windows turning into stars and... And we're getting music in. And so it's, it's like, it's really, it's, it's very much coming together and it's very, very exciting. Um, and I don't know exactly when it'll be finished and when it will be shared, but, um, but sometime later this year, I think. Awesome. I don't think it'll be too much longer before it's ready. Hooray. We can't wait to see it. Thanks. Thanks, <laughs> guys. We had some fan questions. Okay, Lots guys. of fan questions, yes. both from Twitter and Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go to this first one. Elga asks... Back to Lizzie Bennett then. Um, who was your favorite character to impersonate for costume theater? I mean, Mama Bennett, which ah. is always what I called her, and, and, <laughs> and Catherine DeBurke. I always called her Mama, Mama B. <laughs> um, Mama Bennett and, and Catherine are definitely definitely the most fun for me. Darcy was fun, but I, I did a dumb thing when I when I came up with Darcy's voice and I put it in a place in my voice that really hurt. Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't realize how much I was so going to have to deep? do it. Yes. Oh, gosh. Um, so it was always fun to do Darcy, but it was also like, could I have some tea? <laughs> 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 and that was really hard when I did the audiobook. I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. I forgot about that. <laughs> I was like, I have to do the Darcy voice. I, But I learned a lot on that. And now when I do audiobooks, I pitch up. Got, oh, okay. Because it's much easier on my voice. There you go. Ferris says, well, first part, not a question, but your Instagram stories are the best thing in the, uni- in the universe. Thank you so much. Thank <laughs> you. Thank if you. you could play another character from a Jane Austen novel, who would it be? I always felt an affinity to Eleanor Dashwood. Mm, so, probably. <laughs> I actually, I got a new car last year and I named her Eleanor. Oh, great. Um, <laughs> it's with the, uh, like, I'm like telling people, I'm like with the Jane Austen spelling. <laughs> oh, it's God, not yes. the it's not, not like what the, you think. Yeah. Like Rose it's not exactly. Yeah, they don't know. <laughs> and then people are like, I don't know what that means, and I do not care. And I'm like, great, great, great. You know, because my my cat's name is Perdita, which is a Shakespeare name that like nobody knows how to spell or pronounce. Um, and I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just. But the thing is, like, you no know, one has to know my car name. But sure. when I go to the vet, they're like, her name is what? And I'm like, you can just call her Purdy. That's fine. <laughs> just call her Purdy. <laughs> Uh, and second part of Farah's question. So this secret table read that happened a while ago with all of the lovely LBD people, how's that going? Um, referring to a picture you had posted yes. of a certain screenplay. Uh, yeah, a little over a year ago, I I, I wrote a screenplay um, called The Lizzie Bennett Wedding. It's um, about a wedding. Um, <laughs> Lizzie Bennett's, in fact. Ooh. Um, and it's, it's, I mean, I feel like I put that in the title. Um, and it's about really kind of where everyone is now. And I don't own the rights to the Lizzie Bennett Diaries and I am not the person who needs to, um, greenlight that. So I have been for the last over a year trying to get permission to pursue getting it made and I'm still waiting on that. Hmm. Had you written before, or was that like your first screenplay? That was my first screenplay, which okay. was great because it was really, honestly, like writing fan fiction, right? Yeah, like I, yeah, yeah. the world was already established. I actually sat down to try to write a different script. I had uh, a story in my head, and as I kind of worked on that, this other story kept like jumping in the way. Yeah, and it was it wasn't what I was trying to write, and it but. It, 
it was such an insistent story in my head. And when I realized I'd sort of figured out a lot of things that I had always been like, I, I don't know what happens to people. I don't know how that works out. I don't know how. Mm-hmm. Because here, I'll give you this spoiler. I felt very strongly that it could, the plot could not be about Lizzie and Darcy, um, like not being together in some way. And I think I think we see that a lot. Right. And I dislike that story. Yeah. Like we already know they're happy mm-hmm. and they're together. So how is there still a story with conflict um, and something to be resolved, but that isn't about them like not being in love with each other? Yeah. And what are other people doing? And at, the pieces just kind of like very insistently kept poking at my head. And I was like, okay, okay. If I write this down, will you leave me alone so I can get back to the screenplay that I really want to be working on? Yeah. And it came to me so easily compared to the other thing that I was trying to write that I was like, well, this will just be a really good writing exercise for me. Like, then I'll have written a screenplay. Mm -hmm. And it's true because if nothing else ever comes of it, it was a really great writing exercise for me. And now I'm like, oh, I can write a feature. You know, and I had to learn a lot about structure in order to do that and and everything else that I've written since is better because I wrote it. So no regrets. That's but. awesome. Uh, Fefi asks, uh, hi, Ashley. First, I want to say I love your Insta stories. <laughs> Very excited for your next projects. Uh, I want to know when, when was the moment you, when you realized that you and the LBD had become really popular? Like, wow, this thing we made matters to a lot of people. Hugs from Chile. Um, I know that name, Fefi. <laughs> because she's been in my Twitter mentions for um, as long as LBD oh, has been nice. ex- in existence. Um, uh, it was probably our first VidCon. Um, okay, yeah. Because also that was when it, like, all these human bodies showed up yeah. as opposed to, like, just the tweets. I mean, the tweets are great and lovely, um, but it, it was sort of easy to easy that was a that was already amazing like oh my gosh people are actually even watching this i remember we got something like three thousand views or something our first day because hank didn't talk about it until three episodes had come out because he wanted there to be something for people to kind of like hook into yeah cool and i couldn't believe that so many people had watched it because i was like whoa like because we did no press we literally just like put it on a new youtube channel yeah Yeah, and You know, we all tweeted it out, but I didn't have any Twitter followers at the time. Like, you know, I think I had a Twitter account, but I'd never tweeted anything from Mm -hmm. it. And I had sort of barely ever looked at it. And then in prep for for the show releasing, you know, Bernie kind of told us all, like, you need to have social media presences and you need to do these things. And he did not like my Twitter handle and he came up with it. It's still still what Bernie told me to make it. Um, (laughs) The Ashley Ashley Clements is longer than Twitter by like one letter and I didn't want to be the Ashley Clement. Clement. And every version of Ashley Clements is actually a very popular name. Um, um, Most of them are are British and Australian and a lot of them are men. Um, Well, yeah, because, you know, it became a, it was, it started as a man's name. It became a female name in the US apparently, but not as much in, um, in these other countries. So, um, my Google alerts are full of, like, British and Australian men. Um, they're thriving. I'm so proud of them. And, Each and every one. Um, so when we went to that first VidCon, people were screaming. I mean, it was like we were the Beatles, except, you know, like, not really. Yeah, it, it's but so like, overwhelming. I mean, the you. YouTube version of the Beatles. There were four of us, and we couldn't walk around VidCon. Like, people were stopping us for photos. I mean, we'd, we would sort of show up on the floor and, and take photos for hours until wow. someone came and, and pulled us away. And none of us were prepared for that. And none of us had ever experienced anything like it. And and we all recognized at the time and still remark that we'll probably never experience anything like it again. Hmm. That it's rare to be on something. There's 
you can have a thriving acting career and it's still rare to be on something that inspires that kind of fandom and fervor and to be able to have that interaction. Yeah. I think people in the sort of sci-fi fantasy world experience it the most because, um, because of like conventions and things, Mm -hmm. but the people on, you know, the good place aren't going to places where there's like hundreds or thousands of people who are like excited to meet them. You know, they're just getting stopped like every five minutes in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, It was really, it was really overwhelming. I cried. We all cried. Mm. We just like didn't, it didn't even know how to process like that much kind of like love and admiration coming at you. It was just like, it was. Thank you. (laughs) No, I mean like it was just really overwhelming, obviously in a very positive way, but it's sort of hard to believe like for me, me, but don't you know all the like mean thoughts I think about myself Mm. in my head? And it was, it was lovely. It was, it was, you know, what an experience I'm. I'm so grateful. I was actually at VidCon 2012, and I went to try to get into the panel, but the panel was, like, closed, like, 30 minutes before. It, they put us in a small room. They didn't yeah. think we were that big a deal. You yeah. Know? And, and um, we had a much bigger room the following year. But, like... Yeah. I went to that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> um, and that was another thing that I had to, like, learn how to do. Like, it, you know, there's no training for, like, how do you be a public person at a convention? Sure. You know? Yeah. It's just, like... Oh gosh, and and Just we all it, yeah. really relied on each other a lot. And I'm, you know, I'm I'm lucky that, you know, we were a close knit group of girls who, yeah, you know, I and I feel like some of them. Mary Kate, for instance, is just she's much more extroverted than I am. Like mm-hmm. I'm an introvert. Crowds are typically not my thing. And I sat next to her in the signing lines, and I I learned from her. You know, because I was like, hi, why do you want to talk to me at all? <laughs> I'm so grateful but confused. Um, and they always put me first. So I was like, hi, hi. <laughs> I'm bad at this. And, but she was right next to me and she was so, she was so good at it that I mm. learned from her like, okay, because it's not about me in this moment. It's about the experience that this person is having. They're standing in line to meet me and yeah. as bizarre as I may think that is, like I want them to, I want it to have been worthwhile. <laughs> so, um, you know, so we had, we had to learn how to do that. Yeah. Very quickly on our feet. <laughs> Derek asks, what was your favorite part of filming Poe Party? Mm. Um, this is what I like to say about Poe Party. I could have spoken in a British accent and swished around in that dress mm-hmm. and pretended to be mean to my friends every day for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, so those were my three favorite things. Um yeah, no, I, I love doing dialect work, and it was really fun to be British. <laughs> I loved that costume, um, and and it was it was just so fun to play with with my friends. Um, yeah, you know, it was it was such a funny, funny, talented group of people. It was one of those things where I was genuinely worried. There's a there's a sort of saying in Hollywood that like you know if you're having too much fun on set that like it won't actually translate. Hmm. And I was like, oh, we're having so much fun making this. Is there any way that, like, this whole thing is just going to seem like a giant inside joke that people don't get? Because, like, we're having such oh, a good time. Okay. Yeah. And um, and that wasn't the case. People really enjoyed it. And it's very funny um, the way it came out. I still think we had more fun making it. But it, it I think you see that on, on screen. I think you watch it and you're like, these are a bunch of talented, funny people mm-hmm. with very funny, clever writing having the best time. And I really enjoy watching things like that when I'm like, oh, my God, everyone is having the best freaking time. <laughs> and like, I just feel like I'm a part of it. You yeah. Know? Rebecca asks, so for Solvit Squad, since you're going to be on Off-Broadway soon, it's very exciting. Back to New York. Back to New York <laughs> in the spring. Yeah, oh, there you go. Oh, much nicer. 
Um, what's your favorite musical or play that's currently on or off Broadway? I've also I also genuinely pay less attention to what's on Broadway now, but I can tell you like every show that was nominated in 1998. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can. Um, that was like the first year I started paying attention to the Tonys, and so like oh, okay, I have yeah, that yeah. memorized. But um, I haven't seen any of them because I. I'm in LA, but um, but I love Hamilton. I love mm-hmm. Dear Evan Hansen. I'm not really sure what else is currently playing on Broadway, yeah. but I I love both of those shows, and they both have great soundtracks for mm-hmm. when you're stuck in your car for many 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 hours, yeah, which do. is yeah can confirm, which is the life <laughs> of an Angelino. So oh yeah. And Amy asks, what was the biggest thing you learned professionally through your experience on Lizzie Bennet Diaries? I did mention preparation, mm-hmm. and now I mean. Don't go to any set, like, not fully prepared. Lizzie Bennett was sort of a, a strange thing that I did. But now I'm I'm very, very prepared any time that I go to set. Um, and I think I learned – I mean, I also learned a lot of things technically. Like, I hadn't spent that much time on camera. So, you know, we would shoot eight episodes, and then I'd see them all for the first time when everyone else did. Like, there were a few times that I got to see an advanced cut. But for the most part, I would set an alarm to get up and <laughs> yeah. make sure that I was – I was one of the first, like, I was like everybody else watching the show in terms of getting up and and watching it. So I learned so much about what was expressive on camera, what was too much, what was not enough um, to make, you know, to share how Lizzie felt with the audience. Um, You know, I came from theater, so I was so, there's a lot of episodes you can watch where Mary-Kate and Laura and Julia, who all had more on-camera experience than me, are finding a way to face the camera and I am in full profile because I'm all about connecting with my scene partner, Mm. you know, and also a lot of times uh, on camera, you know, you'll get better coverage than that, but you still have to be really aware as an actor, where's the camera? How do I, how do I do what I need to do and connect with the actor and make sure that it's being captured on screen because otherwise no one's going to see it. It doesn't matter what I'm doing. So you can see, you can watch the show and watch me learn that and, and start to make adjustments. It took me longer than it should have to start to make those adjustments, partly just because in the moment I was so, like, focused, on, yeah. you know, on, <laughs> on my scene partners. Um, I remember very specifically, like, in episode 98 going, you have to think all these thoughts towards the audience so they can uh, see the agony on okay. your face. Otherwise, they don't know. <laughs> um, and so um, I, was, I was really proud of them. I was like, I did it. I, did it. <laughs> shared, I shared my experience with the audience. Um, maybe I did it before then, but I just remember sure. that yeah, yeah. very clearly. Um, oh. Well, do you have anything you want to plug or where can people find you on social media? You can find me at the Ashley Clem on Instagram and Twitter and the Ashley Clements on Facebook and Tumblr. And those are all places you can check for updates on Sona whenever I figure out <laughs> where exactly that's going to come out. And you can currently buy tickets for Solve It Squad, Ooh. our New York run. And um, that's all at the Tin Can Brothers website. So tincanbros.com, I believe. Uh, we'll be there April 26th through May 12th. Yeah. That's with the Tin Can Brothers. And at some point... The show I shot with them last year, Wayward Guide for the Entry and I, will come out, but I, oh, yeah. I have no information on that. <laughs> okay. um, so those are, you know, thing, things to watch out for. Cool. Um, you know, and you just follow me on social media and I'll keep you up to date. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ashley, Thanks. for joining us. Thanks for having me, finally. <laughs> <laughs> that wraps it up for this episode. Check out our social media. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at The Pemberley. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Pemberley. 
And if you'd like to talk to us directly or have any questions, email us at thepemberleypodcast at gmail.com. And to support the podcast, donate to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash thepemberley, or leave us a review on iTunes. That helps other people to find this podcast. You can find links to all of these pages on our WordPress page, thepemberleypodcast.wordpress.com, where we also include links to anything we mentioned on the show. Thanks again for listening. Bye! Bye.